0: Patience. Other words that describe this fruit are lenience, long-suffering, forbearance, perseverance, and steadfastness. It is the ability to endure ill-treatment from life or at the hands of others without lashing out or paying back. Question. Are you easily set off when things go wrong or people irritate you? Or are you able to keep a godly perspective in the face of life's irritations? Join us today as Pastor Rex shares part 5 patience when you are weary. When it comes to making you or me a better disciple, God is never in a hurry, but he's never late. Well, hello everyone. My name is Rex Keener. I am your guest speaker for today. All right, yeah, thank you. For the last three weekends, uh, Debbie and I have been away, and uh, the first of those weeks, I was in a very intense study week, where uh, I spent the time praying and studying and planning for our next year of sermons. We try to ask God it, into the invite God into that process, and invite the Lord to uh, show us what we need as a congregation. And indeed, all four of our congregations. And um, so that's what we were doing for that week. A lot of long days, a lot of intense time planning, preparing, uh, studying, and so on. But then the last two weeks, we've been blessed to have some vacation time, which we're very grateful for. And uh, so we have spent that time uh, just trying to refresh and rejuvenate. You know, I'm grateful always whenever we are away like this. For the people who are able to share the word. And uh, I just think they've done a great job. We had, of course, um, Chad Bryan last weekend sharing God's word. Pat Murata, uh, one of those weekends. And of course, I'm so thankful that all of you got to hear from your lead pastor at each of the different locations as the lead pastors preached and taught on the subject of joy. But we come today in this series called Growing Up in Christ, we come to this next topic which is all about patience, patience. It is said that one of the great music composers uh, had a son who was very rebellious and the son would come in late at night, he would go over and stand by his father's big grand piano and... Mom and dad were upstairs in bed, and he would kind of play a scale. da 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 and he would leave the last note hanging, unplayed, uncompleted. And his famous father upstairs was writhing in agony because he just couldn't stand having that scale uncompleted and so half asleep he would stumble and stagger down the stairs after his son retired and went to his own room he would play that last note and only then could he clear his mind and finally go to sleep do you have any people in your life who get under your skin they may be sitting next to you right now I don't know but do you have any people friends family co-workers classmates neighbors colleagues in work do you have any people and sometimes you honestly wonder if perhaps they lie awake at night trying to dream up new ways to drive you crazy If you have people in your life like that, you are going to really appreciate today's message, but I want to warn you, it's going to be a bit challenging because the challenge in patience is a challenge to grow. This whole series, Growing Up in Christ, is how God wants to build these character qualities into your life and mine. So, how about those people? Are they around you? Are they in your life? And every time you're around them, you you almost just have to thank God because they always make you pray a little more. (laughs) They always make you call on the name of the Lord a little more. God, I need help to get through this. And it's not just that they annoy you. Maybe you have some people in your life that you're, tempted to be impatient with because you see the potential in them right and yet you see them fumbling away that potential you see them maybe stuck at a place in life and they can't move forward and you're frustrated for them and you're growing impatient you just kind of want to shake them gently and go please please get with it here There's so much God can do in and through your life, and you want them to move on. So we're talking today about the fruit of patience. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It says, love is patient. Now that word, hupomeno, is the Greek word. It's a compound word. And it literally means to bear up under or to abide under something. And often when it's used, it's talking about us abiding or bearing up under difficult circumstances. Like those annoying people or like suffering or trials that we're going through. And it's translated various ways. Long-suffering, patience, forbearance, and other related words. But what is it really? How do you define patience? Somebody said patience is the ability to count down before you blast off. And I kind of like that because it's kind of a visual for me. You're, You're patiently counting down before you respond to something. But in the Greek, it literally means to take a long time to boil. It has to do with the way we deal with people, especially difficult people. Well, I could tell from your response earlier that you have a few people like that in your life. Would you believe it if I told you that the great apostle Paul actually had one of those patience-trying people in his life? The guy's name was John Mark. And Paul lost all patience with that young man. So today, I invite you now into his story. Let's look into John Mark's story and see what we can learn about the fruit of the Spirit, which is patience. First, let me take you back. Way back 2,000 years ago, it's midnight in Jerusalem. All the lights are pretty much out except for one, one faint light in an upper room. A meal has been called. Guys were invited to this meal by the host, the leader. And earlier, after the meal, there had been this exchange and a guy went away in a huff, upset. And after those who remained finished their meal, they sang a hymn, they sang a song together. And then they walked out to the leader's favorite place to pray. It was called locally the Mount of Olives. There was a garden there called Gethsemane, a lot of olive trees around, and he went there to pray, and he invited three of the guys who were probably his better friends in the group, he invited them to kind of tarry and and pray with him there, but because the meal had been large and because the hour was late, uh, they gave in to drowsy eyes, and all of them fell asleep but suddenly everyone was awakened there was the flash of metal there were lanterns and lamps there was the sound of feet stomping and moving and this disgruntled guest who had left the dinner early has returned now with a contingent of soldiers And as the soldiers take the leader away, a young man named John Mark peers through the bushes. He looks as Jesus is led away. And then impulsively he jumps out from behind those bushes and begins to walk alongside of this captive leader. One of the big soldiers, one of the big Roman soldiers grabs for the young man, probably to arrest him too. But somehow John Mark, who's probably no more than an older teenager, he twists and turns and is able to kind of wrestle himself out of the soldier's grip, but he leaves his robe in the hand of the soldier. And the Bible says in Mark chapter 14, this is the account of that story, a young man wearing nothing but a linen garment Was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled, leaving his garment behind. Now, you can search the Gospels if you're into Bible study, and I hope you do. I hope you, when you study the Synoptic Gospels especially, I hope you compare stories. Oh, it's a great thing to do. Please do that. It will open your eyes to a lot of things. You will be able to see as you compare and contrast the different ways that the gospel writers share the same events many times. But you can search the gospels high and low, and you will only see this little account that we just read in one gospel, in one gospel only, and of course that gospel is Mark. That's the only place that little story appears. It's John Mark's cameo appearance. Most Bible scholars believe that it was placed in there under the direction of the Holy Spirit as this little uh, cameo episode, this little personal touch in the writer's life. It's the only place it appears. Now... It's been said that how you react in a crisis shows what you're made of. I think there's a kernel of truth in that. Well, if that's true, then John Mark just didn't have the right stuff. He runs away when the pressure's on. Today, we'd call him a coward, even a wimp. Imagine how he could have ministered to Jesus if he would stuck in there. Imagine... Jesus and John Mark standing before the Sanhedrin and going through the trials, if they would have allowed it. Imagine how he could have encouraged the Lord and what a comfort he could have been. A chance to fall into greatness fell into John Mark's lap right there and he let it slip away. He fumbled it through his fingers. We think of of him today as the first streaker do any of you remember back when streaking became popular? Yeah, he had people streaking across football fields and basketball courts and down public city streets. Well, this is kind of the original streaker, the streaker of Gethsemane, John Mark. But he was stripped not only of his linen garment, he was stripped of his dignity, he was stripped of his honor. I used to sing an old hymn growing up in church. Once to every man and nation comes a moment to decide. And then the song goes on, and the choice goes by forever. And the choice goes by forever. I kind of like the inspiration of that song. I think it's a great song. But is that honestly true in life? Once, just once, and if you blow it, that's it. You're done for. I sure hope not, at least not in most situations. I talked not long ago to a young man who was disgruntled, distraught. He was very distressed because he had had a wonderful relationship with a young lady. And he said out of his own sensitivity, he had kind of fumbled that relationship away. He took responsibility for it, and he wondered out loud, was that the one God had for me? I prayed with him, but of course, I had no answer other than, listen, I believe that if God closes a door, he at least, at least opens a window. And so be encouraged. Don't necessarily think that that's it. Is there one chance, and then it's gone forever? 20-something years ago, I was working with the Billy Graham team, and I came to Buffalo, New York, and lived there for 13 months in Buffalo, working on a Billy Graham crusade. And, and during those 13 months, I lived in some apartments called the Danny Brook Apartments, if any of you have ever been there, in this little section known as Williamsville in Buffalo, just east of Buffalo. And it was, the Danny Brook Apartments were just off of Maple Road. When I moved in, uh... The first time I noticed this tree outside my window, it was kind of cold. (laughs) The tree didn't look anything important or spectacular. It was kind of a plain-looking tree. But I noticed that in the spring, a few months later, in the spring, these beautiful white and slightly pink blossoms came on the tree, and it was gorgeous. And I was happy. I thought, isn't that cool? God's good to me right outside my apartment window, I'm going to get to enjoy this gorgeous flowering tree. But it seemed just in no time, all those blossoms fell off, and the tree looked rather plain again. And I thought, what a stupid tree. (laughs) Stupid tree? It's not pretty anymore. Ha! But that's not the end of the story of the tree. And that's not the end of John Mark's story either. If you fast forward about 100 pages in your Bible and about 15 years in time, John Mark indeed gets another chance to make history. And by the way, can I just say parenthetically, I think that's true for you. If you're here today and you're saying, oh, I've got so many regrets from the past. I've fumbled so many opportunities away just like we saw John Mark do in the garden. Listen, don't you dare believe that that's the only door God will open for you. God's got more to write in your story than that. John Mark gets another chance. And in this new story, this new chapter of his life, we see three inconspicuous men getting into a boat. And they're about to go on a trip that's going to change the course of history, folks. We look back on it now and we call it Paul's first missionary journey. They, they had no knowledge then that that's what it was going to be called. All they knew is that they had a burning heart to take Jesus and his love to people who'd never heard about <clears throat> And so a guy named Paul that we know as the great apostle, a guy named Barney, Barnabas was his name, and guess who? The team was rounded out with this young man named John Mark. And so here they are, they've got a plan to travel the back country of Turkey, go through Pamphylia and other sections, and to carry God's gospel. The only problem was that the farther they went, the more miserable John Mark became. Ah, he just wasn't doing well. We don't know if he was seasick or homesick. Or lovesick for some young lady he left back home. We just don't know. What we do know is that John Mark left them cold. Deserted them. And went back to Jerusalem. Can you believe it? He fumbled his first great opportunity away. Now here's another chance to make history. And he does the same thing. He runs away again. Now keep in mind, dropping out of a missionary journey is not like resigning from the refreshments committee. What he did here is more like abandoning your best buddies at 22,000 feet climbing Mount Everest. I mean, they needed him. Turkey is rugged country. And now... Aging Barnabas and sickly Paul have got to ford those streams all by their lonesome and cross those mountain passes without the help of this young man that they'd been counting on. I guess John Mark is like a lot of us when we're young. He wanted to channel serve, he wanted to change majors, hoping life would be a little easier. He said, I'm out of here. And he literally, literally ran back home to mama. Legend says, pretty strong legend, that John Mark's mother was a famous Christian lady in Jerusalem, uh, the famous Mary of Jerusalem. She was rather well off, a very gracious lady, and had an influential role in the early Jerusalem church. I can't believe it. He flunked his first test in the garden, and he flunked his second test as a missionary. I looked out my window from the Danny Brook Apartments in Buffalo, and there was that tree. Blossoms all gone, but some weeks later in summer, these little green growths began to appear on the tree. I thought that's curious. I wondered what they would taste like. I went and literally picked one and bit into it. My eyes watered. My toes curled. It was so bitter. I thought, yuck, what good is this tree? It can't keep blossoms very long. It doesn't even look that good to begin with. And what is this fruit? Somebody ought to cut this tree down. But that's not the end of the story of the tree. And thankfully, that's not the end of John Mark's story either. The stunning story of John Mark, if you can believe it, actually gets worse. Paul and Barnabas are preparing to go on what is historically now called Paul's second missionary journey. And uh, Barnabas apparently says to Paul, Hey, look, Paul, you know, before, we you ought to think about inviting John Mark to go with us again. Maybe he can redeem himself. And immediately, as I envision, at least Barnabas knew he had said the wrong thing. Paul's eyes narrow, his face turns beet red, and he says, I can't believe, Barnabas, that you would think of inviting that sorry excuse for a missionary. Again, after that stunt he pulled in Pamphylia. And so they began to go back and forth on this issue. And scripture says that they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Let's actually read what it says in Acts chapter 15 describing that situation. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preached the word of the Lord, and see how they're doing. It's a follow-up visit. Churches had been started. Uh, People had come to faith in Christ and begun to grow as disciples. So let's go back again and see how we can encourage them to keep going. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia And had not continued with them in the work. Catch this. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. I got a question for you now if you're young John Mark and you become aware of this situation how are you feeling about right now you've struck out in the garden you've bailed out and failed and flunked out as a missionary and now you're probably feeling like oh my goodness I've become a source of contention between these two great apostolic figures so that they've parted company he probably wants to crawl in a hole And pull the ground in over him. Here is one wounded young man. And I will tell you, he probably would have stayed that way. Had it not been for one person who had a tremendous capacity for patience. His name was Joseph, but we know him better as Barnabas. A new name that was given to him because he was such a patient encouraging person. And guess what? Barnabas was willing to gamble one more time on John Mark even if it meant parting company with the great apostle Paul. So Paul and Silas go off to Syria to take the gospel, the second great missionary trip. And Barnabas and John Mark sail off together to Cyprus. What's the deal? Barnabas saw something in John Mark, potential, that Paul was unable to see. Barnabas saw that in Mark there was potential that would only come out if someone were patient with him, because it takes time to grow fruit, doesn't it? First the bud, then the bloom, then the green growth. It's so bitter it waters your eyes and curls your toes and it can even make you sick. But God gives fruit in due season if we're patient. That's true of the fruit of your fruit tree. It's also true of the fruit of your family tree. Many of you are parents right now. God bless your hearts. God bless you. Parenting is hard work. Parenting is not for cowards. But if there's any area of life that requires patience, it is parenting. A little boy was going to start kindergarten, and his mom was doing all she could to get him ready. And man, she just did all this prep with this little kid. She told him how much fun it was going to be to meet all these new boys and girls. She bought him a whole new wardrobe, all these new clothes. Bought him all the school supplies. Had him all primed and ready for that first day. Had him so pumped up. And indeed, the first day came and he came back home all smiles with rave reviews. But the next morning, his mom walked into his bedroom and said, honey... It's time to get up. He said, why? She said, you got to go to school. He said, again? (laughs) You know John Mark's problem? He showed up to things, but he didn't keep showing up. He showed up, but he didn't have this tenacity to persevere and keep on showing up. Parents... Do you understand that those little people that God has put you in charge of have tremendous potential? But unless you exercise a huge dose of patience with them, much of that potential is not going to be realized. I mentioned not long ago in a message that there are kind of four stages to parenting. You know, that disciplinary stage where you establish the right to rule in the home between zero and five And then that second stage of teaching where you're teaching between 6 and 12 years old all these things from how to tie the shoe to how to dress yourself to how to behave to how to treat people and respond to people and how to talk appropriately. Teach, 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 teach. And then you remember the third stage? It was from like 13 to 21. That's the coaching phase, right? Where uh, now you can't just call timeout. Your kids have to call timeout, and and they can come and seek advice. You give wonderful coaching advice, but the game has really changed. They're now truly in the game of life. And then, of course, if everything goes well, that fourth stage is 21 and, and after, and that's a stage of wonderful friendship where the child grows up to be, hopefully, a true friend. And And I said to you then that the problem comes when parents don't understand the ripening process. And when they go to their four-year-old and say, Now, honey, when would you like to go to bed? Yeah. See, that's expecting mature fruit a little too early. See? And so, so then when the child hits adolescence, then they begin to try the disciplinary phase, and the child is understandably a teenager is understandably confused. Parents, there's a ripening process that takes patience. You see a space shuttle go out into space and orbit the moon or get information from Mars or whatever, and then that shuttle, that spaceship, begins to return and come back into the Earth's atmosphere. I understand that there's a period of time that's much like adolescence. That space shuttle is entering the earth's atmosphere and these ions are blasting against that shuttle. And if you try to communicate in those moments, (coughs) all you'll get is static. Adolescence is like that. But oh, when you show patience and persevere through that, often you are going to get some sweet fruit. Many of you are grandparents and you've found that that's, that's the case. You're enjoying being grandparents. You know, grandchildren are God's gift to you for not killing your kids. You know that, right? <laughs> I hope you know that. Grandchildren are just God's way of saying thank you for not killing your kids. That's what it is. That's what it is. And you, you've been there. You've done that. You know all about patience. You've been through it with your kids, grandparents. And, and what, a, what a joy grandparenting is, I'm told. But we've got to be patient with young people because the cement is still wet. They're still malleable, impressionable, but requires enormous patience. A wise old deacon once said to me in church, put his arm around me, I was about 22, I think, and he said, son, you can't make mistakes before you're 40. It's all just experience before 40. I think it was exaggerating just a little bit, don't you? But he was trying to point out to me that truth. Look, the cement is still wet here. If you make mistakes, hey, it's just experience. You can change. The cement is not yet hardened and dry. Parenting takes a lot of patience. Parents, I urge you to foster, to nurture patience in your own life because you are going to reap an amazing harvest of fruit if you stick with that and keep showing up. The other area, of course, that needs an enormous amount of patience is marriage. We got any amens? Amen? Be careful. Be careful about saying that too quickly. I heard about in old man whose wife along with him was really aging and he was convinced this husband was convinced she's losing her hearing he knew it she just wasn't responding the way she did years before and so he started sitting in the living room one day he thought hi i'm going to do a little test here and so he went over to one corner and he said can you hear me no response he said ah i'm on to something i knew she was losing her hearing Went over to the other corner. Can you hear me now? No response. He went over to a third corner. Can you hear me now? Didn't respond. Finally, he went over right behind her and said, can you hear me now? She said, for Pete's sake, I've said the last four times I can hear you. (laughs) Who's really losing their hearing, huh? (laughs) Marriage. Marriage takes A lot of patience. Can I say to you married people, can I say something to your heart today? Listen, your spouse has potential that he or she will never reach without a huge dose of patience. True. And I urge you, I encourage you to foster that and nurture that patience in your life. Stick in there. Stay with it. Don't be tempted to bail out early when the fruit is not yet sweet. The Bible says love is patient. Love is patient even with that boss who thinks she walks on water. Love is patient. Even with those insufferable relatives who ruin every holiday get-together. Love is patient. Even with that persnickety customer who thinks he ought to be waited on hand and foot. Love is patient. Even with that best friend. Oh, you love her, but she can't keep her mouth shut. Love is patient with an otherwise wonderful spouse who really has some rough edges. Love is patient. Sometimes the reason God tells us to be patient is not so they will grow and change, but also so we will do some changing. Well, I find this whole story of John Mark so intriguing, but you know what the deal is? This is the twist. This is the twist that gets me in John Mark's story. We have every reason to believe that Paul, the great apostle... The writer of at least 13 books in your New Testament. Came to regret the day he wrote John Mark off, Because if you fast forward a few years. A call came across the sea to Cyprus. Not a call for a missionary this time. But a call for an amanuensis. A call for a secretary. Someone who could sit with the great apostle Peter. And let him share his story of walking with Jesus and what that was about and write it down for the very first time. And so the Apostle Peter gave John Mark a sheaf of papyri, a sheaf of paper. And as he told the story, John Mark wrote it down. And you actually have a copy of that. Did you know it in your Bible? It's called the Gospel According to Mark. It's the gospel for the Instagram generation. It's fast, it's furious, and Jesus comes through so human, so human in that book. We would not have that if it hadn't been for the patience of Barnabas. And you fast forward more years, to 64 A.D., and the Apostle Paul is sitting in the Mamertine dungeon in Rome. He knows that at any time he could stand before Nero, the emperor, and could very likely be executed. And he writes these words in 2 Timothy, the last letter that, as far as we know, he ever wrote. He's writing to his young colleague, Timothy. He says, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. He's promised it to me. And then he says these words, kind of cool. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has forsaken me. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. And then if if you can believe it, These words come out of the great apostle's mouth. Get John Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. What? This is the guy who fled in the garden. What? This is the guy who bailed out on the first missionary journey. This is the loser, remember? This is the guy who'd fumbled it away. But because of one great man with patience, Barnabas, who took a gamble on grace and patiently worked with a young man whose life currently had bitter fruit in it, God did something extraordinary. You know what? I looked out my window toward the end of the summertime from the Danny Brook Apartments in Buffalo, and something extraordinary had happened. You see, that tree kept putting its roots down and sapping up, uh, taking up the moisture, and, and the sun of upstate New York kept shining down, and, and fructose began to develop along with the acid, and, and that fruit kept getting bigger and bigger. And sometime in September, I walked out to that tree and it was loaded with huge, juicy apples. Wow. You know, so what? Sometimes we look at new Christ followers who haven't learned yet how to follow very well, and we think, ah, they're always going to be young and naive. Or we look at the bitter fruit of a marriage where there's no joy, and we say, it's never going to bear the fruit of joy in this marriage. Might as well give up on that. But you know, sometimes we need to remember that the best fruit is that that comes later on. And the late bloomer is the one that often has the best fruit. And when it comes to fruit in God's kingdom, there is no such thing as Instagram fruit. It all, it all, it all takes time. And so wherever you are in your journey, I want to leave you with this word. God is not finished with you yet. And God is not finished yet with those people you love. Are you listening to me? When it comes to the work God wants to do in you and me and the people we love. Listen, God is never in a hurry. But he's never late. And he's going to finish the work that he started. Lord, thank you so much for the story of John Mark. And thank you for the challenge and the example it gives to us about patience. Help us to be people like Barnabas who see the potential where others can't, and who hang in there with people even when it drives us half crazy. Let us walk so in step with your Spirit that the people around us, those we love the most, would blossom and grow into their full potential for you. This is our prayer, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Will the ushers please come forward as we receive our tithes and offerings? I would like to.